Tell you what we'll do, why don't we read our text and then get into it. We're talking tonight about Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. Some of the most encouraging verses in the Bible, but also some of the most sobering in some ways about how we live and what our priorities are. Because one of the things that Christianity does, above all other things, in terms of how we live, it radically rearranges our priorities. It turns them upside down, changes them. What we thought was important is no longer important. What we didn't think was important is now vitally important. And that uh, is what happens when you start to follow Jesus Christ. And this passage helps us to understand this perhaps more than any other, certainly in the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, let's go there. It says this, therefore, and by the way, of course, every time you see therefore in the Bible, you know there's something you should have been paying attention to right before that, which is why we need to put all the scriptures in their context, which is why we have extra bonus podcasts and other lessons. Anyway, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns. And yes, your heavenly Father feeds them. Um, are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? It's a rhetorical question, to which we're all going to say, uh, no, I guess I can't. Okay. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yes, I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And the church said, Amen. Amen. Isn't that the truth? Isn't that the truth? So let's, uh, let's, let's press on into tonight's uh, material. I'm not going to talk about the bits we've missed out. That's the bonus uh, podcast. That's what they're for. But I will just say that as we go through the earlier parts of Matthew chapter 6, we see Jesus talking about fasting for the right motives. In other words, a lot of what he talks about in terms of prayer and fasting and the other deeds we do helping the poor, it says do it in secret. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, don't, don't announce it with trumpets. He's not saying it's wrong if someone notices you're doing something good. That would contradict what he said in Matthew 5 about being a city on a hill and about being a light to the world, right? It's actually okay for people to see what we're doing and we're doing good things. It's about the motive. In other words, it's about not doing it to be seen. Like, look at me, I'm fasting. Uh, the, what happened in those days when you fasted, the word it talks about here, the word it uses here about fasting, where are we in verse, where's my fasting bit gone? Prayer, fasting, verse 16. Okay, they disfigure their faces. The word literally means to make yourself invisible. Which doesn't mean literally invisible, if you know what I mean. But what it means is, someone will walk past you and think, who's that? Someone who knew you. You would look so unlike yourself that they wouldn't recognize you. And then you say, oh, it's me. And I look this way, 
because I'm fasting. I mean, it's that kind of idea. So don't pray to be seen to be praying. Don't fast to be seen to be fasting. Don't help the poor to be seen to be fasting, to draw attention to yourself. Do it, and do it publicly. It's okay to do it publicly, but do it in such a way that people would say the only reason they're doing that is because they must love God. There's something about God in them. That's what people are meant to notice. God, not us. Could someone push the door shut enough to where it's a bit less distracting, at least to me, if not to everybody else? I don't know, but that would help my focus. Thank you. So, um, I just want to say that because although that's not the key part of this lesson, I think it's an important principle for what we're talking about. And we're told not to uh, store, well, we're going to want to talk about ambitions now, actually. Or oh, the eye. I just want to mention something quickly about the eye. About the eye being the lamp of the body in verse 22. Mm -hmm. the, key, the key issue here is the, is the fact that the eye has a singular focus. That's what he's getting at here. The eye being healthy means the eye being singular, being focused on one thing. So it goes back to loyalty. A lot of the, this chapter is about who we're loyal to. It's about the choices, the right, wide road, the narrow road. It's about staying loyal, being a disciple. So it's, it's, it's about that idea, bless you, sir. We'll come preaching in masks next time. <laughs> we can get any. Um, so, so it's about that loyalty, which goes back to the Matthew 5 beatitude about being pure of heart. Because pure of heart isn't about so much not sinning and being a righteous person in that sense of being morally upright. Being pure of heart is about having only one thing that matters to you. So it's not, it's, in other words, it's being not mixed. Mm. So being pure of heart is about being loyal. It's about Jesus is my king and that's mm. it. And a similar idea here with the eye being single, being focused on one thing, which we see again as we go through the chapter here about seeking first the kingdom. It's all part of the same idea. So so much of the Sermon on the Mount is about encouraging us and helping us to understand what it means to live loyally to Jesus as king. Mm. That's why the kingdom is mentioned so much. And I want to emphasize that, which we have been doing all through the series, to make the point this is not a new law. It's not a new set of commandments. You better do this, and you better do that, and you better do this. There are commandments to obey, but it's not so much about that as about remaining loyal to King Jesus. And all of these things can help us with that. Um, you can't have two masters, it says in verse 24. You can't have two masters. You can have two employers, but you can't have two masters. That's the difference. Like, I have two jobs. Mm -hmm. I have one job at Thames Valley, and I have one job at the Watford Church of Christ. And that's interesting, <laughs> but some of us might have two jobs. You can have two jobs, but you can only have one master. And that's what he's getting at here. Who's the master of your life? So, with all that in mind, therefore, therefore, ah, now, here's the thing. Here's the thing is, that's all very well and all good, but I've got a lot on my plate. I've got a lot to concern myself with. How am I going to handle all this? And Jesus says, no, if you're really loyal to Jesus, you don't need to worry. If Jesus is your king, worry can go out the window. Not to say it's easy, but this is actually a reality. We can live, we can live with a purity of heart, with a singularity of focus, in a way that pleases Christ our king, and means that we are not consumed with worry and anxiety the way that the world is. And, and we know these questions. Now, worry is an interesting thing, I would say, because... Um, let's talk about this. Sometimes worry is helpful. Now think about this for a moment. In what context, in what situations is worry useful or helpful? What would you say? In what situations is worry useful, helpful, valuable, you could say? 
Okay, it can lead you to act. It can move you from passivity to action. Okay, that's a good point. In an emergency situation? All right, emergency situation. You don't want to be sitting around saying, oh, that person's dying, but I'm not worried about it. Uh, that's not particularly helpful, right? You can, again, it's about action in a way. All right, okay. Anything else? Any other reasons why we might actually value worry in some sense? It can sometimes make you think of the different options and the different ways things could turn out. Okay. It can help with having a, not an open mind, a, a, a creative mind about solutions. Right? Yes, okay, yeah. Make you humble and make you seek God. It can make you be humble and seek God. Okay. If one recognizes the anxiety and then what do I do with this? It can take us to God. You can say that in that sense. There are some situations. What about though uh, when worry is unhelpful? When is it not helpful? What would you say? Yeah. Because it's chronic. Chronic worry. Yeah, and it keeps you awake at night. Okay, loss of sleep, yeah. I think when situations are out of your control. Okay, when you can do nothing about it. Okay, yeah. Um, when it consumes you. It consumes, mm -hmm. takes over. Uh, when it makes you start thinking irrationally about mm. either the future or another person right. or their responses or it, it spirals out of control. Okay, alright, so the word in the. Sorry, one more. Yeah, just having, when it starts having a physical impact on your well-being. Yeah. yeah, maybe a physical, emotional, mental health yeah. negative impacts yeah. on, on our well-being. Very good point. Thank you. Yeah, the Greek word merimnami here, it might be best translated as overly concerned. So there's a, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul says he's anxious, which we'll come on to in a minute about some things. Not all anxiety is this kind of anxiety. Or not all kind of concern is this kind of concern. It's an over-concern. Mm -hmm. It's taking it beyond what is healthy. It's right to be concerned on some level about your children's health, about your children's education, about your career progress, about your bank balance and your pension. There's nothing wrong about being concerned about certain things. It's about that anxiety that, that comes on top of that which leads us to be over-concerned and begins to do something harmful to us, quite possibly also people around us. In, I put this on the slides? I know remember and what I want let's do what I want to do. Let me see. Why it can be helpful or unhelpful. I didn't put this on the slides, but in Philippians chapter two, let's turn over there. Let's go there for a moment. Let's look at the Apostle Paul. Philippians chapter two. And in verse twenty seven find Paul writing this. This was brought to my attention a, a few years ago now. Penny and I were discussing worry and how worry was very negative and she said, hang on, hang on. She said, the Apostle Paul, he was worried. So, come on, you know, what's going on there? So, I said, oh, let's have a look at this. So, Philippians chapter 2, verse 27, um, talking about Epaphroditus, he was ill, almost died. God had mercy on him, not only on him also, but on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad, and I may have less anxiety. So is Paul saying he's, he's being, is that simple, anxiety here? No, I don't think so. I think it's just that he's concerned. Mm -hmm. And so there's two levels here. There's, an, there's a concern which is, in a sense, healthy, and there's a concern that is not healthy. The key is to, for us to figure out when we're in the middle of some concern, mm -hmm. Is it healthy or not? 
It's not so much whether we feel some anxiety or worry, it's whether it's helpful and help, helpful and healthy or whether it's uh, un unhealthy and unspiritual and not doing us any good. We do need to figure out what to do. Philippians 4, while we're there, verse 6, Philippians 4, verse 6, Paul writes in the same letter, he says, uh, verse 4, actually, rejoice in the Lord always. I said again, rejoice that your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Powerful, important passage. It's one of those verses we probably should memorize. Yeah. Because we, we get this kind of temptation and situation so frequently. Yeah. The temptations to unhealthy anxiety and worry. But that's what Paul says, take it to God. That will help us a great deal. Um, okay, so here's a question. How can we recognize when the, we are worrying in a way that breaks the command of do not worry? Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 6, what do you think? What are some signs? How can we know? Right, I think a sense of hopelessness. A sense of hopelessness. Okay, so we're kind of stuck. Yeah. yeah? You, don't, you don't see that there's an outcome or God is greater than Whatever you're worrying about. Right. Yeah, God isn't greater than the problem at yeah. this point. Okay, there's no sense of hope. Yeah, Paige. I was going to say, when we're talking about it, but we're not praying about it. So there's a lot of talk, right. talk, 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 talk. Yes. But within that talk, there's no praying. It's just humanistic. Okay. The talking is talking, but God isn't involved in the talking or the listening. Okay. Very good. Yeah, I know. I think a comment I was made earlier, I think what it wants you to. Because I think, I think we're human, so we're going to worry. But I think it's what you do with that worry. Because I think if you carry that worry on and it consumes you and occupies your thought process the whole time, you're almost idolizing that thing that you're worrying about the whole time. Whereas I think if you pause, like David, for example, when he, in his prayer, he goes on about all these enemies that surround him, and, but then he laments. And then he pauses, and then he comes back and says, but God, I know you will deliver me. Yeah. Right. So I think it's important to like recognize it, be honest about it to God, but not let it consume your thought process the whole time. Okay. Good. Thank you. Yeah. Well, um, if it's not controlled, it will affect your health, mm -hmm. without a doubt. And um, especially if it gets to the stage of, you know, consumed with worry and it's a day-to-day -day thing. Um, I mean, even, you know, the, um, you know, most of the illnesses and sicknesses are a result of stress and worry. They reckon probably around about 80 to 85 percent. Very high proportion of illnesses that present in doctor's surgery are essentially stress-related, mm -hmm. uh, fundamentally underneath everything else. And the causes of that, how we deal with it, are multi multifactorial, but nonetheless, that's right. Hand over here. Yeah, um, I think also when, when you start blaming God for the situation uh, that you're in, and you ask, wonder how, how, why is he doing this to me? And you keep blaming him and accusing him of it. Blaming God yeah. for the worry yeah. that we the have. The situation that you're in, yeah. For the situation. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah, Joe got into that, didn't he? Yeah, mm -hmm. no way. Yeah? 
Gauri would be to disgrace and become a victim of Satan. Mm. Like for example, you've been a violent church, but still you're making some stupid sin, and then Satan would say, you're, you're there, you said, but still you're not able to change. What, what is the point of being there? So kind of a discouraging often. So that may break God's story. Mm, that voice in your head. Yeah, very good. One more, I think. Yeah. I think also, um, as a sign or, or way to recognize it as out of control, I suppose, is the way you interact with other Christians and with other people regarding your worry or anxiety. So if it's so in your head, I know for me, the times when it's been so in my head that I feel no one understands and I might as well not speak about it. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a good place to be. So it's quite a it's quite a good sort of measuring, you know, stick to sort of go. Well, have I actually been able to share about my thoughts and my worries, mm-hmm. or is it just remaining there in my head? Holding on to it yeah. could be a sign that you're not not in the best place mm, yeah. regarding this worry. Here's the thing. So I'm trying to to make this a practical class without it being a whole class about worry and anxiety because <laughs> that's a because it's. We've talked this before, there's other recordings on the website and YouTube channel about this, which we've done before. And in fact, indeed, there's a sermon I did on this passage two or three years ago that's online. Um, so I, 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 I want to address the practicalities of it, but not make that the focus, because we're dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. How does this fit into the way that Jesus wants disciples to live? So we're thinking not just about our struggles with anxiety or worry or how we deal with it, which we should do, but it's also about what is what is the way that... The kingdom is meant to be. How is the kingdom meant? How is a church meant to be? How are we as a community meant to be? Not by as in we must be this way, but more how are we designed to be? We're designed by God to be the people that recognize when we are worrying and are anxious in an unhealthy way, recognize it, work together with God to resolve it, and with one another, as you said, to, to be a community and help each other, and then to have an maybe not in the, in the very moment, but as an, on an ongoing basis, working through these anxieties such that they do not take us captive so that we don't live in a place of anxiety. You and I know we're going to struggle with really deep, significant worry and anxiety through life, right? And if you're not right now, you will be soon, right? That's one of those sort of things that happens. But we don't have to, the, the, we don't have to be on a, on a really deep trough for long. We don't have to be, and sometimes we are, to be honest. And, there was a period in my life, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago now, where I went a whole year with a pain in my chest in my right side, which was basically an anxiety-induced thing. I woke up every morning with this pain. And it was with me all day. Sometimes I didn't notice it because I was busy, you know, but it was there. And that was, and, and it's gone, and praise God it's gone, and lots of things that helped that to go. But I know I'm not immune from, from getting into that kind of place, and none of us are. So the point is to recognize it and then utilize what God has given us. So let's talk about solutions here for a few minutes that Jesus talks about, interestingly. So he talks about the birds. Any bird watchers? Any ornithologists amongst us? No. So, you know, my wife's a very keen bird watcher, as some of you will know. These are my binoculars. I take with me on my prayer walks in the morning. So I go out with this in the morning, my prayer walks. And I do it mostly not to look at the birds, actually, to be honest. I do it mostly to strike up conversations. Because when people see you in the morning and you're wearing these, they're like, that's interesting, have you seen any birds? And I'm like, well, I saw, you know, da, da, da. That's just where I start conversations. It's like if you own a dog, 
yeah. people talk to you, right? Well, they talk to me because I wear these. But I do look at the birds, <laughs> and I do like the birds. We have a kingfisher in, in the, in the uh, river near us, and I saw that the other day. It's beautiful. It's just amazing. And so I, I carry these with me, and I like these. My wife's a serious bird watcher. Here's, here's the thing about Israel. Israel is one of the main conduits of migration in the world. Um, it's astonishing how many birds go through there. Hundreds of species go through Israel. 500 million birds migrate annually north and then south again. 500 million birds every year. Uh, flocks of cranes, for example, can grow up to 50,000 birds in one flock. So you see, when Jesus is teaching, he's not in a, a hall like this, right? He's on a mountainside. He's saying, look at the birds. He's not saying theoretically. He's saying, look at the birds. I imagine them looking up. Maybe it was migration season. Maybe there were huge flocks flying above, right? And the people would look up and say, oh yeah, look at the birds. He's finding a way to help people to recognize that, that, that we, we, we get taken care of, just like the birds are kind of taken care of. The birds aren't, aren't fed like, you know, they don't, it's not like God goes around dropping <laughs> seeds into birds' beaks, right? They just have to go and get, get the stuff to, to feed themselves with, right? So it's not about being passive. Um, but it's about trusting. And the birds are flying. They look, they look okay up there, don't they? Yeah, they, they do. They look all right. I can't see any of them. Like in, They're having a good time up there. And God said, look, we can live that way. Jesus is saying we can live that way. Uh, we don't... Worrying about our survival does not improve our survival. Yeah. Being anxious in that sense yeah. does not improve it. That's why he says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to, your, to his life? You can add some time to your life probably by eating properly and exercising. You can, <laughs> right, you can do that. But by worrying, you don't add any time to your life. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what he's talking about with the, uh, the jolly old birds. And then the flowers. I mean, these are all from our garden. And um, um, I mean, just aren't flowers amazing? I mean, it's Valentine's Day, right? So I saw men today. I was out. I saw men running with bunches of flowers. They're, they're obviously late to getting home or something. I, when we left that place in Wokingham, the chap running down the road with a bunch of flowers. I think it was to be late to his girlfriend, his wife. I don't know, but uh, that's that's all good. Um, Flowers are important. Israel is a, a, a world exporter of flowers even today. It's known as a place with, with beautiful flowers. Solomon and all of his splendor. Solomon, the richest man who ever lived. If there was anybody who could command any kind of splendor he wanted, it was Solomon. He said, well, he, he was, he's not in the least impressive compared to these flowers. He's got nothing on, on them. How much happier we would be if we could give up trying to achieve something we cannot achieve by a method that will not produce what we hope for? <laughs> We'll be a lot happier and we'll be a much better representatives of the kingdom and of our king. Um, Matthew 6, 32, the pagans run after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them. The pagans run after these things is another example of the way that Jesus, time and time again through the Sermon on the Mount, says don't be like them. So don't be like the hypocrites, don't be like the pagans, don't be like the Gentiles, uh, don't be like, there's another group he talks about, but he, he, again and again he says, don't be like them. This is not to say, don't be like them, but you know, like, you're, all, you're great, but don't be like them. It, it's not about that. It's, it's don't adopt, don't adopt the, the ways that most religious people do things. Don't adopt the ways that most pagan people do things. Don't adopt the way that most of your work colleagues do things. Don't hold on to their values. That is not going to represent the kingdom well, and you're not going to be happy. 
into the bargain. So don't be like them. It's a, it's a common, common thing going on again and again and again. Uh, instead, he says, seek first the kingdom. This is the other part of the solution. The first is to contemplate the fact that God has your best interests at mind. He is your heavenly father. He knows what you need. He will provide. Um, so it's really about how we view our heavenly father, which is another reason why Jesus gave us that wonderful prayer he did in, earlier in chapter 6 to give us more confidence in our father. Um, but uh, again, he says here, um, don't worry, don't worry about these things. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Let's think for a moment again about righteousness because this is a very misunderstood term. We have talked about it already in the um, earlier part of the Beatitudes where it's uh, where we hunger and thirst after righteousness. But here's a quote for you from a book called The Worry Book, which I read a few years ago, which I rather like, by uh, uh, Will van der Hart and Rob Waller, uh, an Anglican minister and a NHS uh, consultant psychiatrist, Christian guy. Uh, very good book, very good resources. Uh, the website they have is called Mind and Soul, and there's some great resources. Anyway, I like this book. Um, God's righteousness is not a focus that brings condemnation. That's not what righteousness means. It's not about condemnation. But rather a reminder that it is his righteousness that sees us to heaven and not our own. That's what we depend on. We depend on his righteousness, not on ours. In the context of the Beatitudes, when it says hunger and thirst after righteousness, it's talking there primarily about hungering and thirsting to do right by God and to do right by people. It's the way we treat people and the way we treat God that is mostly in view there. Similar here, but adding, I think, a bit more to that picture of the righteousness, God's righteousness, his righteousness is what we need. If I've got that, I'm dependent upon that. If that's what uh, runs through uh, my veins, if that's what's in my heart, then I'm okay with God. If I'm okay with God, whatever the world does to me and it's going to do some nasty things, it's going to be okay. I don't need to worry because God has it has my best interests at heart. I think that's the, the key, that's the key thought here. Um, make it your priority to seek that righteousness of God is I think what he's uh, essentially talking about. He's talking about living as a disciple, following Jesus wholeheartedly. Uh, this has been given, this righteousness given to, uh, to you. So for some suggestions to wrap up here. Suggestions for seeking first the kingdom. I suggest we read the Sermon on the Mount more often. I don't know when the last time was that you read through the Sermon on the Mount before we started this series. And I know we dip into it, a lot of preaching comes from it occasionally, and that's all good. But I would suggest, since it's such a foundational document or section of, of Jesus' teaching to explain the kingdom and how kingdom citizens live, it might be one of those passages we should read more often than most. It's highlighted. We've got it here. We've got it in Luke's Gospel. Slightly different um, in its format, but nonetheless there as well. The themes of the Sermon on the Mount are threaded throughout the parables and most of the rest of Jesus' teaching. Certainly it explains why he lived how he lived, because he lived like this, like the, the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. So maybe stick a reminder in your electronic diary or something to read it every now and again. Perhaps you might like to read it on the first Sunday of each month, or the first Monday of each month, or the last Saturday of a month when June, when Venus is in line with Jupiter. <laughs> I, I don't know, whatever you want to do, but maybe just 
make a, a resolution and a plan to read it more often. No. I, I think it could really help us because it will help us to remember what it really means to be a citizen of the kingdom. Mm. The second suggestion would be to pray that we're just going to live today with God. I do not need to worry about tomorrow. I pray every single day. I hardly ever forget to pray this prayer. Oh, well, my, the, one of the, near the beginning of each prayer time in my day, I pray the prayer, thank you for today. And thank you for yesterday. And thank you for the gift of today. I know tomorrow isn't promised. It's not, I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. And I didn't today. I didn't earn today. I didn't deserve today. I couldn't buy today. You've just given it to me. What a gift. And therefore we will rejoice. Today is the day the Lord has given us. That's all we have. Let's enjoy it as it is. And I, that's what I pray that every prayer every day because it makes me grateful for today. And not so much worried about tomorrow because who knows about tomorrow? Really, who knows? There's enough things happening in our world that make us realise that tomorrow we have no idea what's coming tomorrow. So, uh, live today with God and pray that prayer. That's the uh, daily bread. Give us that daily bread prayer. Today. Today. In other way of translating that is, please God, give me today's bread. In other words, give me today's bread. I'm not worried about tomorrow's bread. I'm not thinking about tomorrow's bread. I'm thinking about today's bread. That's what I need, God. You know that's what I need. That's all I'm asking for just asking for today's bread. The third thing would be to allow our, our worries to, well, to shape our worries into prayers, which goes back to that passage in Philippians we looked at earlier, um, which I'll give you the message version here. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Mm -hmm. Isn't that a great yeah. translation? Yeah. That's true. Praying. It's also true of singing, by the way. Singing in your yes. quiet times. Yes. Singing faithful words of songs you, you know and love is also a great way of turning our worries into or shaping our anxieties and worries into prayer. I just love that thought. So, seek first the kingdom, do not worry, and maybe we just go back to uh, verse 34, the King James Version I like, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof, which I just love the poetry of that, but perhaps a little less obscure is the message translation. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. We are not alone. Our Father is with us. The Spirit is in us. Christ is with us. We have plenty to feel afraid of, but we don't have anything to allow, that we need to allow to consume us in terms of fears, anxieties, and worries. We have a wonderful King. He's taking care of us. We're in His kingdom, and He's taking us to the ultimate expression of His kingdom in the next life, which we will enjoy worry-free, anxiety-free, no more fears, no more tears. We're going to be there with him. Let's practice that here now because we have Christ with us here now. Thanks very much, everybody. Hope that's helpful. Yeah. Thanks a lot.